Good morning, good morning. Well, we have uh, made it to the last sermon in our Sermon on the Mount series. I always find that funny to say, I'm doing a sermon on a sermon. His sermon's better than mine, but I'm trying. So, you know, when you come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know if you've been reading along uh, as we've been going through it. I don't know if you've read it in full before or read it in parts many times over. Um, but it can be easy to uh, come to the end of it and feel a bit overwhelmed. And that's where I want to start today. Have you ever felt overwhelmed about something before? Anybody? Anybody? Not that many people. Most of you are just really confident. I like that. Well, I've, I've felt overwhelmed before. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, when, uh, when I was on staff at Mount Carmel Christian Church, it is something I carry over. Our, our team goes to lunch together and stuff, but we would, we would oftentimes, you know, just pick a spot and go to lunch. And one thing was always for certain. When IHOP was running their all-you-can-eat pancakes, <laughs> we showed up. And this is, this is a picture of... Uh, of a real stack I was about to try to conquer. This was sitting in front of me. I think I counted. There's eight. Yeah, there's eight pancakes there. You know, when you, when you, when you talk about a lunch destination and you get all-you-can-eat pancakes in your head, it's hard to turn back. I'm not going to lie. So uh, we were, you know, we were excited. And, you know, when I go into something like this, and you know, typically... Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but by the time you figure out where you're going to go eat, you're ready to eat your own arm because you're so hungry. And so you, you sit here and you think to yourself, all you can eat pancakes, they don't stand a chance. But then you sit down and the waitstaff person has a different idea in mind. They're thinking, I know what you're thinking, you're going to eat like three plates. I'm going to give you all you can eat in one. And they set this down in front of you. And suddenly, you sit there thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure what I got myself into. <laughs> you look at this stack and you think, that sounded good for a moment, but I don't know if I can take this thing down. I don't even know if I can get through half of them. Are they going to kick me out if I don't finish this? Are they going to make me pay more if I didn't eat all I could eat, all I thought I could eat? And then there's the thought after, you know, you, you sit down and you think, how am I going to feel after I eat this stack of pancakes? Uh, am I going to get any work done after that? Am I going to be able to nap? Am I going to actually be able to sleep, you know, on a full stomach later? I don't know if I'll be comfortable enough to even be in the lie-down position. Suddenly, um, maybe none of you have ever thought this deeply about a stack of pancakes before. But for me... This sounded like a good idea until I sat down, and then I got overwhelmed at the sight of what I was about to get myself into. On a more serious note, uh, I'll ask the question again, have you ever felt overwhelmed before? I will tell you another time I have felt overwhelmed. When I first entered into ministry staff position, uh, you know, I realized at some point that I was going to have to do hospital visits. And my first year, I was, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to 
follow along with uh, some senior level staff that had been in the game for a while. And so they would get, they'd go on a hospital uh, call. We, we would have a rotation of a pastoral staff that would be on call to go to any, uh, any hospital visit that we were called on for. Uh, but for my first year or so, um, I wasn't tasked to go on my own. I'd get brought along with somebody else. And so I would, I would get to see up close and personal just not only how to do it the, the best way possible, but it gave me a new perspective on the fellow pastoral staff people that I was working with because, you know, you see them in, in their lightheartedness or um, you see them in the seriousness of their work, but you see a whole new side when someone is sitting and giving care for someone else that's in a spot that they don't want to be in. I've yet to meet anybody in a hospital bed that was like, this is what I wanted to do this weekend. Um, and so, you know, I'd go along with them and I, I would see how uh, the person would, would hold somebody's hand, put a hand on their shoulder, would know the right words to say, would know when to not say anything at all, when they would have the right scripture to read, or their prayer was just right, where they could get the person that was laying in the bed to laugh a little bit, or they would allow them to cry where they would notice just the right amount of nerves that were going on in the person and know how to talk to them and meet them at that spot of nervousness. And they would also know when the person had already taken whatever medication to get them through the surgical procedure and when they could get them to say something really funny that they would never say otherwise. And I thought to myself in this moment, I was like, I felt a new sense of calling in that moment. I was like, I'm, I'm glad to have the privilege to be here, not only to be here for this person that's in this situation, but also to be here to learn. And it sounds like a great idea to get to have the privilege to go do this. Until suddenly, those friends that were taking me along with them decided, it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. You're going alone. And all of a sudden, all of those things that you see someone else do so well, it's on you. Is it okay if I put my hand on their shoulder? Is it appropriate to make a joke right here? Are they going to feel bad if I'm not crying with them? Is it going to be really weird if I do start crying with them? What if I stumble in my prayer? What if I... What if I misspeak on the word amen at the end? What if I don't read the right passage? What if I don't realize that they're really, really nervous? And I start thinking about all these things in there, and suddenly the thing that I felt privileged to be a part of was a source of overwhelm. And it took me a while to get past that and to get to the point where I felt comfortable being in an uncomfortable situation. And I'm, I'm glad I stayed the course, but it's overwhelming. So I ask you again, have you ever felt overwhelmed before? I think we all have on some level. We probably wake up every day saying things like, can I handle this conversation I have to have at work? 
Can I handle the way my kid is acting today? Can I really take that next step toward that promotion that I'm aiming for? Can I deal with the place that my family member's in one more day? Because it's getting really hard. I think all of us have felt overwhelmed before. And then Jesus enters the picture. And everything that Jesus brings to the table sounds really good. Salvation. Eternity in heaven. Freedom from the bondage of sin. He invites us into this wonderful, abundant life. And it sounds so exciting. And we're ready to jump on board. And if you're like the people that started falling at first, you saw the wonderful miracles, the wonderful teachings, the wonderful things that he said to people. And he said, I got to go see more. And then you show up one day and he comes down the mountainside and he delivers this sermon. And he teaches all of these things that, as we've said time and again, raise the bar, become confusing, jar us from our comforts. And we get to the end of it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we feel overwhelmed. Can I really take one more step in following him? I was really tracking with him for those first two things he said, but then he said this other thing, and I'm not sure I can do that, or I'm not sure I can avoid that. I don't know if I have what it takes. This is all overwhelming. So we might ask ourselves, well, Jesus preaches this whole sermon. What are the crowds What do his disciples think? What are they feeling? How are they processing what they just heard? And we are glad to find out that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in the last two verses of Matthew chapter 7, Matthew tells us exactly what the people were thinking and feeling after hearing his message. And it's only two verses, and that's where we're going to camp today. But it's a good spot to camp. Because it's an important thing to take in not only what Jesus said, and to consider his call on our lives, but to consider what we're going to do with it. And that's what the people had to do. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29 this morning. And this is what Matthew writes. It says, When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. Now, any of you that have talked with me one-on-one or maybe you've been in a class setting with me know that I love these transitional passages. Because they're the ones that we read and then we move on to the good stuff. And when we move on too fast to the good stuff, we fail to realize that the good stuff is found 
in verses like this. Because it's important when we look at the people that were following Jesus that we stop and say, how did they respond to Jesus? If you want to know how to respond to Jesus, we should look first to the people that were responding to him in the aftermath of the sermon. So how did they respond? Well, this is where things like translations can get the better of us. You see, when you go back to verse 28 here, it says, when Jesus finished these words, meaning he got done with the the sermon, he didn't go on an extra 15 minutes like some do. I've never done that. It says the crowds were amazed. Now, this word amazed is, is kind of a peculiar word. When you think about amazed, you might think overjoyed. Maybe you're like, wow, that was a really great sermon. I'm going to feel really pumped up the rest of the day. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what this word is implying. I bet you're going to be shocked to hear what this word really means. It means they were overwhelmed. I've been setting it up, sorry. It means that they were overwhelmed. The whole idea of this verse is that after Jesus taught all of these things that we've been looking at, that you might have been reading or you have read before, these hard sayings, the high calling, the high bar to live up to, the people that were listening to Jesus heard them, and they were overwhelmed at his teaching. Now, overwhelm can be both a good and a bad thing. You can be overwhelmed by the depth, by the breadth of what was said, by the detail, by the challenge. Some people like a good challenge. But on the flip side, you can be overwhelmed and wonder whether you measure up whether it's worth trying, whether you want to get out of Dodge. You might have heard the sermon, but you've heard enough, and I'm going somewhere else. And trust me, when you read the Gospels, there are plenty of people that come to that conclusion. But Matthew doesn't end there. So he basically says that the people, the crowds, and notice, by the way, I need to say this, it hones in on the crowds here. When Jesus starts this sermon all the way back. He actually gathers his disciples, those whom he's called and those who have chosen to follow. But the crowds that have been coming around that have seen and heard about Jesus, they want to get in on what they've seen and heard and see and hear some more. And so they come along with the disciples and listen in on what Jesus is saying. And notice here that Matthew's focus on the crowds We're not exactly told how the disciples respond, although if you read more of the gospel, you find out how they respond. But the crowds who were intrigued, maybe they heard a real cool story Jesus told, or maybe they know someone that Jesus healed, and they're like, I've got to go find out about this guy. And so they go, and they hear the sermon, and they hear it, and they are overwhelmed by what they've heard. But then Matthew goes on in verse 29, and he says, They were overwhelmed because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. 
And we need to unpack this a bit too. Because this is another verse where you might think you know until you know. What does this mean that Jesus taught them like someone with authority? Well, it's actually saying something peculiar about Jesus that makes him stand out from everybody else. This is less a denigration of the legal experts, the religious leaders of the day, and more of a commentary about Jesus himself. See, in the time of Jesus, there was a process called discipleship. That's right, Jesus didn't invent it. Well, I mean, he kind of did, but we'll get into that theological discussion later. There was already disciple-making happening at the time of Jesus. Oftentimes, it started at a young age. Children were brought up either in the home or going and being taught by someone that knew in the synagogue to, on the most basic level, learn their scripture, which in the case of the time of Jesus was the Old Testament. And they didn't just learn it. They had to memorize it. They were taught it day and night. There's a whole passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is going to be a sermon series next year. Yay, 2024. But anyway, uh, for now, the precedent set in the Old Testament was as you're coming and going, while they're young, whether they're old, keep teaching them the word. And that's what they did in this culture. There were no biblically illiterate people in the time of Jesus. But it went further. There were higher steps to take. There was a sort of middle step where once you got through the Scripture memorization part, then you learned the oral traditions of the people teaching, the rabbis. You basically learned how they interpreted the text and why they interpret it. And this is real crazy. At the time, the, the Jewish people mostly believed that the only thing having, uh, worth having written was the Scripture itself. They didn't actually think their oral tradition was on par with Scripture, but it still mattered because it was passed down. So they taught it orally. That's right. You had to memorize what your teacher said just by hearing what they said. Not in a book. It gets harder. And then the third stage was basically to be in dialogue, to learn how to be in dialogue with your faith, with the teachings of Scripture, with the traditions, with life application, and teaching other people to do life application. And this was kind of the upper echelon where a rabbi would take disciples and do this sort of thing. Jesus made disciples in this. But here's the catch about Jesus. When you look at the three-pronged way of making disciples that existed for the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, most of it was dependent on what their rabbi said, whose rabbi said, whose rabbi said all the way back. It was handed down interpretation, handed down tradition. Who was the authority in that scenario? The rabbi. It was really the rabbi's rabbi that was the authority. I'm telling you this because my rabbi told me. Do you want to know what made Jesus different 
He taught like someone with authority. We have evidence in the New Testament that Jesus did grow up being trained in the ways of the Jewish people and Scripture, but we also have evidence that he might not have needed it. His authority was not from his rabbi's rabbi's rabbi. He taught as one having authority himself. That's why when Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, You have heard it said in the days of old, but now I say to you. Jesus is teaching as someone with authority. It is his word and his word alone that carries weight. Now let's put that package together. The crowds heard Jesus and they were overwhelmed by everything that he said, but they were also overwhelmed by this reality. They had never seen or heard anybody like Jesus in their lives. And by the way, when you recognize someone having this kind of authority where you can just speak your own word and that's all that matters and all that counts, it can be really confusing if you're a Jewish person that has grown up in this and you think the only authority that matters is the rabbi's rabbi's rabbi. It might make you wonder, should I be listening to this guy that's saying my word is what counts? That's an overwhelming proposition. That's causing you to have to question everything. Because you're being asked to still worship the one true God, but not on the system and tradition that you've been taught to do, but you're supposed to take this guy's word for it. And this guy's word is packed with a lot of stuff that's hard to stomach, hard to hear, and hard to do. And suddenly, the people have taken in everything that Jesus has said to his disciples and for their ears too, and they've left feeling overwhelmed. And I wish I could tell you what they did with it. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, we get a transitional statement where Matthew says that the crowds followed him further. But all he means is that they just followed him wherever he went next. We're not told if they believed. We're not told if they changed their practices. We're not told if they stuck with him. We just know that the next town he went to, they followed, and that was that. The story moves on. And that's the point. (laughs) We're not always supposed to know what they did with it. We're supposed to sit in the reality that hearing the teaching of the Son of God who has the authority to say what he says, to call us to what he calls us to, we are to sit in the overwhelm. And we are to ask ourselves, now that I'm overwhelmed myself, what will I do? When I was in uh, freshman year of high school, a friend of mine, actually the, the friend of mine who brought me to church for the first time in my life. We were playing a video game together on Nintendo 64. There we go. Yeah. Hey, I got you. It was a WCW wrestling game. 
Any, anybody in here watch wrestling? Yeah, there we go. I got to see some hands going up. So this WCW wrestling game uh, was kind of fun because uh, I believe at the time it introduced the ability to get chairs out from underneath the ring and beat your opponent with the, the metal chairs. Yes, that kind of wrestling. Anyway, uh, we were playing the game, and I don't mean to brag, but I was letting him have it. In his defense, he hadn't played the game before, and I owned the game. I'd had plenty of practice. But my friend is sitting here, and, and suddenly I see his face. He's, he's getting that mean, aggressive face like he's going to do anything to try to come back and win. He's mashing the, the, the buttons on my control. I'm like, hey, slow down. Those are expensive. And suddenly, in a fit of rage, he gets up, and he rips the game out of the console, and it shuts the game off. And I just laugh at him because I really got his number. And we moved on. That's what we did. He didn't throw the game at me, fortunately. That would have hurt. Because it, you know, it wasn't digital. It wasn't like a, anyway. It was like an actual game that sat in the, he had to, anyway, old school. Here's the thing. I was overwhelming my opponent with the metal chair on the game. And he decided at that moment that he needed to throw the towel in. He was so overwhelmed he couldn't make a comeback in the fight. And his answer was to quit. And make sure that I couldn't win too and have the satisfaction because he ripped the game out so that I didn't get to have the referee come and hold my arm up in the air. Well, my, my guy's arm anyway. Have you ever been overwhelmed and had that feeling before? Maybe you didn't get into a rage and rip a game out of a console, but you decided, I don't know if I can go another step further. Or maybe you said, I'm overwhelmed by this. Maybe there's an easier way. Maybe I can cut corners a bit. Maybe there's a fast-track version of doing this. Maybe you get overwhelmed and you say, yeah, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going on the course. And I told you we were on a trail yesterday, and at one point we realized, you know, we didn't look at a map to see when this thing ended. So we're just walking and following these posts with these arrows on it and hoping that they're not going to take us to some weird guy's cabin <laughs> where I'm not here this morning and we're not, you know. But we trusted the signs and we kept going and we ended up making it back to our car. And it was a fun adventure. We saw a couple snakes. That was, I didn't like that, but my son did. He's braver than I am. We kept going, even though there were times where we were like, should we just turn around and go back? But we followed the signs. So we sit in this state of overwhelm. And we might be asking at this point, well, what should I do with this? I don't know if I can live up to this. And even if maybe there's a scenario where I can, I guess right now I'm just going to have to choose to keep going. Well, there's an answer to our overwhelm tucked into this passage too. So yes, I'm going to ask that we put it back on the screen here. Why were the crowds overwhelmed? Well, 
because he was someone with authority. Do you want to know the beauty about Jesus' authority? The, the wonderful gospel good news about Jesus' authority is that Jesus has the authority to overcome our overwhelm. See, when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you take in everything that he said, Jesus never says, this is for somebody but not for you. You can have it easier. The high bar is real. The high calling is real. He doesn't pull it back for us. But Jesus being the authoritative one, being the Son of God, has the power to help us overcome our overwhelm at his teaching. He has the power to sit with us in our overwhelm. He has the power to show us the way as we take the next step. My son tripped over a root yesterday. He got a little scuffle on his knee. Me and mom picked him back up, fixed his shoe. He kept on going. Jesus has the power to overcome our overwhelm. When we fall or we get off the trail, he can get us back on it. And if you think you're not good enough, you've done too much harm, you've made one too many mistakes, you're not smart enough to understand, he can overcome that too. Because here's the wonderful news about Jesus. He came to give you life, life to the full, so that you can live up to the high calling and the high bar that he set, and he doesn't leave you there to do it on your own. He went to the cross to make a way. He conquered death to give us life. And he sent his spirit to empower us, to embolden us, to ignite us, to take those steps and to take that leap to reach the high bar and the high calling he set. When Jesus tells his disciples at the end of this gospel of Matthew to go make disciples, <laughs> this, is, this is super funny. You remember how Jesus had the authority to, to say everything on his own? Well, you know who didn't have that authority? <laughs> the disciples. Have you read the Great Commission before? I, I, I say it all the time. The first thing Jesus says is, all authority has been given to me, not you. Your authority comes from me. When Jesus' disciples go and they heal people, he says, we're doing this in the name of who? Jesus. See, Jesus came out of a system of being made into a disciple but he was unique because he had the authority to do the discipling on his own without the need of another rabbi, but he doesn't discard the system. It's just that the only rabbi that counts for his would-be disciples and apostles is him because he has the authority to overcome their overwhelm. When he was in the garden to give of his life, 
And he was making the prayer, and his disciples couldn't stay asleep. And then when they came to arrest him and they scattered, he had the authority to overcome their overwhelm. He didn't leave them crying in the upper room, but he ignited them on mission. I think you get the point. We are meant to read the Sermon on the Mount and be overwhelmed by it because it's a high bar and a high calling on our lives. But when we sit in our overwhelm, we come to realize that God has afforded us grace through his son Jesus to overcome it, to get us on our feet, and to get us going, making disciples. And when we share with our would-be disciples on what authority we make them into disciples, we say, well, it's simple. It's our rabbi, Jesus. He made a way for me. This seems really hard, but you can do it because he let me know I can too. And that's what we're supposed to take from the Sermon on the Mount. He has the authority to overcome yours and my overwhelm. So if you answered yes to the question, have you ever been overwhelmed? You're in good company because God made a way through his son Jesus to overcome it. I hope on your way in you grabbed a communion today because Jesus overcoming our overwhelm is the reason that we take communion every week. Because Jesus gave his body and poured out his blood so that we could overcome. So that we could overcome sin, death, fault, failure, and walk on the straight and narrow path to following him as our master. I invite you to take a moment to pause and reflect on what God has done for us. And after that moment of reflection, we will take communion together as one church family. invite you to take and eat this bread. This is his body which is given for us. And I invite you to take and drink from this cup. This is his blood which is poured out for us. Please pray with me. Dear Lord God, we thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for the highest calling, the highest bar, and yet the highest authority to help us to navigate life in word and deed in honor of you. We thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices, but that you light the way and you empower us to get there. 
And I pray, God, that uh, for each and every one of us, no matter what our next step is in our following of you, that you will help us to boldly take it by the power of your spirit, to lean on one another for encouragement, and to stand firm on the foundation of your word. Pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.